0: Welcome to Care Talk, your weekly home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. David, who do we have today as our guest? Well, John, our guest today is Dr. Peter Hotez, vaccine scientist and author. He's dedicated to combating dangerous viruses and also anti-science. Welcome. Uh, what is anti-science?
1: Well, it's a broad term and and I use it to refer to this rise in um, uh, uh, advocacy and propaganda that seeks to discredit major scientific concepts, seeks to discredit – and I use it in the biomedical sense more than anything else right now – seeks to discredit vaccines, vaccinations, tries to claim they're unsafe or they don't work, um, and also uh, conspiracy theories around the origins of, of COVID – and it's not only targeting the science but and this is what's also kind of new and twisted is targeting prominent u s biomedical scientists and um seeking to discredit them and 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 their comments and 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 I use it in the sense that it's not the way it's often portrayed as kind of random bumps that happen on the internet or on social media but in fact it's quite organized it's and now we know something about its organization at the highest levels of uh, members of u.s congress the senate and the house some of the courts um and amplified nightly on especially on fox news and other conservative news outlets
2: peter the the thing that's striking to me about the anti-science anti-vax movement um which you Sort of with your gentle authority pushed back on is it's actually got a pretty long history. Uh, any 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 insights? I mean, is is this is this just something that's part of any innovation in medicine, or like what's the background here? I mean,
1: if you look at the the founding even of of the original colonies in the United States, there was always this concept of health freedom, medical freedom um, that. Presented unwarranted government uh, inter- interference and often tend to promote um, uh, spectacular cures and and this goes back you know more than two hundred years but in more modern times it really started accelerating um, beginning in the in the two thousands around false links claiming that vaccines caused autism and and that's how I got involved with it. Um, uh on the biomedical side, because I have four adult kids, including um Rachel as autism and intellectual disabilities. And a few years ago I wrote a book with a very straightforward title, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism to counter all of the false assertions and, you know, went into detail showing the evidence. There's no link between vaccines and autism, what autism is, how it begins early in early fetal brain development. We even did whole exome genomic sequencing on Rachel and my wife and I. We identified a, a Rachel's autism gene similar to the hundred others that have been found, and and I think that was important to debunk a lot of that. But of course, it also made me public enemy number one or two. They they began calling me the OG villain, which I had to look up the. The original gangster villain, so so John, you have the original gangster villain on your podcast uh, t- today and and um and but 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 what's happened now over the last seven eight years it 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 that thread still exists, no question about it, but it's morphed a bit to become more of a political movement that more of that old school idea of health freedom, medical freedom you can't tell us what to do, and it really accelerated um in the southern states and the conservative states red states especially in in texas became the epicenter of that and that's that's what's kind of new it got adopted by the republican tea party under the banner of health freedom medical freedom there's not historically there's nothing really anti science about the republican party but but this is kind of new and and twisted and and that's what we're dealing with now in this time of covid-19 where um it got um, and there was an open expression of. Anti-vaccine statements claiming they're unsafe or um, they don't work from members of the House Freedom Caucus, um, out of the out of the House of Representatives, some senators, you know, like Rand Paul, and and then it got amplified nightly on uh, by the nighttime Fox News anchors, and then uh, they recruited a whole group of contrarian intellectuals or pseudo-intellectuals to give it academic cover, coming from far-right think tanks or in some cases even major. Medical uh, centers, and the point is, it's not just an academic discussion. It's cost lives. and In my new book that I'm working on, with the working title "Anti Science Kills," I estimate that more than two hundred thousand unvaccinated Americans in in the last half of 2021 needlessly lost their lives because of allegiance to this thing by refusing to take a COVID vaccine. and And so, when we talk about the big social forces that we put up infrastructure against like global terrorism or cyber attacks or nuclear proliferation, this anti-science, whatever you call it, political ecosystem or empire is killing more Americans and all those things combined. And, and And it's the hardest thing I've ever had to talk about, John, because in all of my training as a physician scientist said, you're not really supposed to talk about Republicans and Democrats and liberals or conservatives or red states and blue states, you know, we're supposed to be politically neutral and, and above all that. But what do you do when all of this is clearly falling along a partisan divide? And, and I still haven't figured out the best way to talk about it. I just say, look, I, I haven't figured out a way to talk about it other than to talk about it with the hope that it people makes people understand what's going on to save lives.
0: Maybe I started off the introduction, John, in too negative a fashion by talking about anti this and 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 that. There's some real positives uh, to Peter in your story, and in particular, I want to ask you about corbivax. What's the story behind that, um, and uh, when will corbivax be available?
1: Oh, so you know, my my day job is I'm a pediatric vaccine scientist, and. I'm a professor at Baylor College of Medicine, Texas Children's Hospital, and I um, co-lead a group with my science partner for the last 20 years, Dr. Mary Elena we lead a group that develops vaccines for poverty-related parasitic infections like schistosomiasis and hookworm, I call them the most important disease you've never heard of, Chagas disease. But then about 10 years ago, we started developing coronavirus vaccines because they were orphaned too. We developed SARS and MERS vaccines and now I've been able to turn that around and, and, and pivot to, Um, begin making a um, uh, COVID vaccine, which we did. And um, we were able to turn that around. And then we uh, licensed it with no patent to several um, vaccine producers in low and middle income countries. And our colleagues in India, known as Biological E, have produced this vaccine that, that they named Corbivax, like biological E, C-O-R-B-E-V-A-X. And so far it's gone into 70, mil, 70 million arms, um, adolescent arms in India. And now it's been approved as an adult booster. So it's, it shows that you don't have to necessarily work through big pharma companies to do big things in terms of making vaccines and there's you know trying to find it's not that the pharma companies necessarily are bad guys you know they they do a lot of good but to rely exclusively on the pharma companies means that we'll have vaccine equity issues and so we did this to address vaccine equity
2: i think i think maybe stepping back a little bit peter I think it's it seems kind of obvious but vaccines are one of the greatest inventions in humanity in terms of allowing humans to thrive whether it's the elimination of smallpox the relative elimination of measles the the power of a, a, a small prick in the arm to actually transform turn your body into effectively a defensive device against invasive disease is probably one of the greatest, inventions. I'm just trying to think of anything else that comes close.
1: No, I I think so. And this is why, you know, this is why I became a biomedical scientist developing vaccines for developing vaccines for poverty related diseases. I totally agree with you. I did my MD and PhD in New York at Rockefeller university and while Cornell medical college and the motto of, um, uh, of Rockefeller, which used to be the Rockefeller Institute of Medical Research, translates from the Latin as science for the benefit of humankind. And and that's why I went there to, you know, do things to help humanity. And there's no better, I agree, there's no better way to do that than making impactful vaccines. And, and I always thought of this as something noble. And so this is what's been so hard also is to see this flipped on its side, you know, 180 degrees and 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 people claiming that there's something nefarious about it when it's saving so many lives both in the US and and globally. So this has taken a big personal toll on me having all the attacks and everything else.
2: But you're but you really are I mean there and there's a there's a the weaponization of this politically isn't just isn't just domestic. I mean, the Russian memes and social media that they push out around the world Are anti-vax and blaming the West, the Russian social media within Russia uh, are all about you have to get yourself vaccinated. I mean, there's this bizarre, you brought up Fox News, where there's a requirement to be vaccinated to be on set, and yet they're still tolerating, supporting, and sustaining a completely different movement. It, It has been weaponized in a bizarre way. The other thing I would point out, which people don't realize, is a lot of the people who Are anti vax get paid a ton of money to do so. I think the estimate was that, you know, Bobby Kennedy Jr. is making over $10 million. That there is a, there's money in this, in this, uh, in, in this mean spirited insanity that they're, that cultivating and supporting those, that kind of skepticism and organizing it actually pays from whether it's speeches on, You know what's in a in a you know vaccines creating uh, autism or vaccines create causing problems or or maybe Bill Gates putting chips in your arms. The more insane it gets, it would it would appear that that social media has made it worse. But there's 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 no question that those of you who are sort of on the front lines of trying to explain how critical this is, and 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 I think the critical thing in, in your vaccine is making it affordable and available broadly. Um, is, is 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 again an investment in humanity, and I, I think one of the really exciting, interesting things about your book that 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 about about vaccines is that even during the Cold War, enemies would collaborate on supporting and developing vaccines uh, and, and and disease prevention and elimination, even while their countries were not talking to one another. The scientists and the doctors were, and I. I, for me, uh, uh, Peter, that was very hopeful that humanity can organize to heal itself. I don't know I, I, whether there's any uh, in, in this in this in this time of darkness. Is there? There 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 have been glints of light in our history, as well as as well as moments of darkness.
1: I agree. Um, and the story you're referring to, I write about in the book. Not many people know this, but the oral polio vaccine that many of us got as kids and has been used to eradicate polio worldwide was. Developed jointly by Dr. Albert Sabin, um, it was at Cincinnati Children's Hospital who went to the USSR, got back channel permission from the State Department. And as, as did his counterpart in the USSR, Dr. Chumakov, that's where the vaccine was actually developed and tested on 10 million Soviet school children, shown to be safe and effective. And that led to the global licensure. It's an idea of two countries putting aside their ideologies to work together for a life-saving intervention like a a vaccine. And so I had an extraordinary opportunity in 2015, 2016 to do this with the Obama administration. They tapped me as U.S. science envoy at a very difficult time in the Middle East and North Africa during the ISIS occupation to see if I could enlist cooperation with uh, countries in the Middle East and North Africa on that. And we wound up doing some interesting collaboration. So I think – you know, this this idea of science and um, medicine is really an uh, under tapped or untapped aspect of our U.S. foreign policy. I mean, why do people love our why the U.S. You know, it's as much for our research universities and institutions as everywhere else, and and the potential for our scientists and professors to be ambassadors for the nation, I think, is is a, is a tremendous one, but one we don't we don't sufficiently use.
2: You know, I, I just digging into this topic, Peter, you know, I, I remember reading Paul Farmer's very long book on the Ebola epidemic and some of the, 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 the other great public health stories included a fair amount of, of, of learnings around how to culturally approach science, particularly for native populations that were not developed in some of the more extreme areas of the third world where our notions of conventional medicine were rejected because they didn't fit within the the cultural traditions of those tribes or regions. I wonder whether there's anything that we've learned in Africa or Asia that could help us uh, somehow tame uh, the, 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 the critics or help us build more of a ground level support for something that you know, up until the last few years, was seen as just a regular part of your, uh, effectively your your health citizenship.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think you know, Paul was, um, Paul and I were the, about the same age, and Paul was a great friend, and he was more on the healthcare delivery side, and I was more on the more basic science side, developing vaccines, and but he was a tremendous supporter of mine. I was devastated when we lost him. Um, not too long ago. And, and, um, and, part of, and in the new book, um, it's partly dedicated to Paul as, as well in his legacy. But and along those lines, I used to tell Paul about the fact that we were building capacity in low and middle income countries to make their own vaccines. And this is one of the things that we did. We u- developed our vaccine with, with technologies that are already in play In low and middle income countries. So for instance, India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Brazil, all make their own recombinant protein hepatitis B vaccine through an older process of yeast fermentation technology. So our approach and our philosophy is, hey, if we can, let's make a vaccine with that fermentation technology, because then we can plug and play right into low and middle income countries. That's what we did. We wound up for our COVID nineteen vaccine making a low cost vaccine, one hundred and forty five rupees a dose, which I'm told is about a dollar ninety, and and no limit to the amount you could produce, simple refrigeration, no complex freezer chain. And that's what we need for global vaccine equity as much as anything else. But you know, the the and that's our niche is to try to fill and really being an academic partner with these uh, middle-income, low and middle-income country vaccine producers.
2: I'll let David get a word in edgewise in a second, but let's just understand. I mean, I'm just doing the rough numbers here, Peter, but the conventional mRNA, if you add supply chain plus private sector price, that's probably a couple of orders of magnitude cheaper, Or which is to say that what we're getting in the West uh, what's 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 the standard of, of of care for vaccines in 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 the People's Republic of Massachusetts, where where David lives, is probably a hundred times more expensive all in than what you've created. And I want to just go on record that we are very supportive of you winning the Nobel Prize because of that. What that what that vaccine could mean for areas of the, the uh, parts of the world, billions of people in the world who otherwise would would not be able to afford uh the a vaccine for COVID.
1: No, oh, that's very kind. I mean, eventually, you know, the mRNA technology will improve like anything else does. I mean, it'll come down in price. It'll They'll figure out how to stabilize it at, at room temperature. We also have an mRNA vaccine program that we're doing for, for Chagas disease, a poverty-related disease in Latin America. But the point is, We were, you know, the the G7 countries were so focused on innovation and speed, and they kind of got what they paid for, which are very interesting vaccines, enough to vaccinate North America and Europe, but at the expense of the Southern Hemisphere. And our argument is, you know, the innovation is fantastic. We love innovation, too. But let's balance the portfolio with vaccines we could give now for low and middle income countries. And that was the frustration that, you know, we were kind of on our own on that one and had to raise the money, you know, privately and through 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 other sources, which we did. Um, we could have moved faster if we had larger public support, but um, we're in a very interesting place right now.
0: You know, John was talking earlier, asking you about whether this is just sort of history; it always been been like this. I thought what you had said uh, previously about Dr. Fauci and experience that he had in combating AIDS versus what we saw in COVID—it was sort of instructive of where we were. I wonder if you could maybe share that with the with the listeners.
1: Um, well, I'm not sure I know exactly what you're referring to, but you know, Dr. Fauci has also been a friend and colleague for a long time. We both went to Cornell Medical School, although he was about 17 years ahead of me. But he's been a a big supporter and I've learned a lot from him over the years in terms of uh how to face adversity and uh in, interact with the the public and and that was um a learning curve as well you know how to how to deal with that adversity but I think now it is so revved up and it is so tied to a political machine on the extreme right that it becomes especially challenging now and 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 you know what i've said to the biden administration is maybe create an ambassadors program for states like texas i've offered to to help um but you know we've seen such a loss of life and and this has been documented now by the Kaiser Family Foundation, the Pew Research Center, by the New York Times, by Axios, by National Public Radio, that the deaths clearly occurred along a partisan divide with significantly higher death rates uh, by a lot in red states and red, redder, and redder counties. And, and it didn't have to be that way. And so trying to figure out how to walk all this back and, and, um, kind of Take the politics out of it. You know, what I say is, look, everyone's entitled to their conservative views, even extreme conservative views. But now you've got the Proud Boys marching at anti vaccine rallies and the Oath Keepers, and to say, look, you know, don't adopt this one. Of all the things to take on, um, you know, keep, keep the science because that's what's saving lives. And it's been very, very difficult.
2: I I I'm I'm more hopeful, Peter. I I, I do think I'm probably I'm probably wrong here, but I look at how I remember a conversation I had not for this show, but with Dr. Larry Brilliant about, about the smallpox, I should, and, and 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 being around listening to Paul Farmer talk about how the how the West tends to approach care around the world and it, with kind of a Western view, and that if we could be a lot more sort of thoughtful and That we could be, we could be, you know, his notion of companionship, and really being culturally appropriate and understanding why people were skeptical. That there's hope there. That there may be lessons in how we've solved these problems around the world that'll help us. It's not an overnight solution. Social media weaponizes it, but I'm, I guess I'd, I'd, I'd um, ask whether, whether you see any. Whether you see any glints of of, of 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 positivity there, and I'm I'm thinking just among the religious leaders that even against their own some of their own constituencies actually came out in favor of vaccinations. I'm I'm sort of a I'm, I'm a cautious optimist here.
1: Well, you know I've 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 devoted my life to something called neglected diseases, so I'm inherently uh, an optimist, and and this will get better, but I think it'll get worse before it gets better. Look, those who lost their lives. Um, were victims right they were victims of this aggress anti what i call anti science aggression from the far right and and lost their life because of it and and so how we handled it and now it's affecting not only the US but now it's contaminated Canada Canada's never had an anti bunch of an anti vaccine movement it's in western europe and i have an article that just came out in nature reviews immunology that says now if you look in sub saharan africa they're walking around with fauci memes and and quoting tucker carlson and so this is affecting the world's low and middle income countries as well and it could erode our whole vaccine infrastructure and reverse millennium development goals and sustainable development goals but we have to keep trying and and and, and the, but the point there is the people who are refusing vaccines themselves are the victims of this type of aggression and and, and what what the answer is i don 't know I think the health sector at this point doesn 't know what to do anymore it, um, this is This is a political problem and and how we deal with that like we would global terrorism or cyber attacks or nuclear proliferation is is we have to get advice from. People from Homeland Security and the State Department, as you point out, you know Putin and has has used this as a wedge issue to divide our our country, and and that's where we have to move. Unfortunately, people don't have an appetite for it. I mean, and if they're going to go into geopolitics, they don't want to call in their political chits worrying about vaccines. They've got other big fish to fry around war in Ukraine and 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 Russia and other things, but it's. But it's going to be as important given the loss of life right now.
0: Well, that's it for another edition of Care Talk, this time with Dr. Peter Hotez. If you want to learn more from our guest, check out Peter Hotez' Twitter, where you'll find a rich set of insights. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group.
2: And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Dr. Peter, thank you so much for everything you have done, are doing, and will do for public health. And if you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service.